with you for a second, right? Your organization with honor, uh, what are the qualities and characteristics of veterans that make great elected leaders beyond the obvious? You know, what is, what's the X factor? Yeah, I want you to channel Simon Cowell yeah. and tell us what it is. <laughs> well, I'm going to do my best on that. I'm obviously dressed a little bit differently than Simon Cowell, but I, I think about this question, I think about when I first signed up for the Marine Corps, you sign a, uh, an oath and a pledge uh, that is to that every Marine will be a rifleman. So what does that really mean? What it means is that you are going into the military, and if your country calls on it, you may give up to and including your life for your country. There are very few professions, of course, that, that have that calling for it. And what that is at its essence is true service. What our organization does with honor is we help support veterans who take a pledge to serve with integrity, stability, and courage, and to work across party lines in the Congress to try and help fix that very dysfunctional and polarized institution that actually matters a great deal for the, for the country. So to your question, the bedrock has to be in service. It's a very unforgiving environment, politics. If you have the attitude that I'm going in to serve, this is going to be a hardship post. This is not for my self-aggrandizement. I may lose an election, but I will stand for the principles that I believe in. That's hard to find, but it's what our organization works and strives to not only help identify, but help get them across the goal line because, of course, the costs in our elections are outrageous these days. And then once in Congress, support that group, which ends up meeting every, every two weeks and put the country before, your, before yourself. So we'll go to you for a second, Congresswoman Cheryl. For the people out here that don't know you and your bio, tell us a little bit about your, your bio, who you are, where you grew up, what you did before you entered the Congress, why, uh, uh, and give us your philosophy about public service. So I um, am Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill. I currently represent the 11th District of New Jersey. Um, I usually get a little Jersey love on that. Thank you. <laughs> there we go. Thank okay. you. All right. All right. A little better. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that, especially with a kind of hometown crowd. Um, so I'm in Montclair. Uh, the district stretches west from there, Morristown, out to um, Lake Apatcon. And uh, I grew up up and down the East Coast and ended up going to high school in Northern Virginia, and then went to the Naval Academy, um, served for almost 10 years as a helicopter pilot, got out, went back to law school, ended up at the US Attorney's Office in service once again, and then decided to run for Congress. And I think what's interesting about that is I think about people who've served and, and what they bring to Congress. There are a couple things. Um, so, if I hadn't gotten into the Naval Academy, I was going to go to UVA. And I sort of envisioned my life a little bit like this. I would have gone to high school in Northern Virginia. I would have gone to UVA with a bunch of people from Northern Virginia. I probably would have gotten some job in the DC metropolitan area with a bunch of people, college educated people from Northern Virginia. And that sort of would have been my world. Instead, I went to the Naval Academy uh, with people from all over the country, some of whom had been living overseas with their parents. I then served with people not just from all over the country, but also with people from all different economic backgrounds. We recruit people um, not just from 
from some of the nicer areas of the country, but also from struggling areas of the country. So people of very different backgrounds than myself. And at a very young age, I was leading them. I was helping them navigate bad divorces and bad purchasing decisions like motorcycles that they crashed immediately, you know, and, and, and financial burdens. And, and I was doing that very young and, and really helping them. And then I served overseas in countries that were very unlike our own. So I could see firsthand why our ideals and our democracy is important. And I think that's a, a perspective that veterans bring. And then Dan and I were talking before about um, how optimistic veterans are. And many of you might not realize that because some of you have met some veterans and think that's not really my impression. But we're very optimistic in a sense that we are given a mission and we have to accomplish it. And you know, you hear failure is not an option. Well, when you're in the military, failure really isn't an option because that sort of could result in your death or the death of other uh, members of your team. So failure really isn't an option. So you look at a mission, no matter how hard it is, and you've got to figure out a path for it. And I think with what's going on right now in our country, that's a, a very important viewpoint. I'm going to ask the same question of you, Dan. Tell us about your background, people that don't sure. know you. And we've got Nice crowd here. We also have about 15,000 people streaming. Great. Uh, and there's a lot of young people. So provide perspective. Well, I don't want to really start with this is the way you would think of me. But like Congressman Cheryl said, I was one of those young people that wrecked the motorcycle <laughs> right after I graduated from West Point. We weren't allowed to have them at West Point. I bought one four, yeah, weeks, four weeks later. It was my husband. Yeah. We all have motorcycles. <laughs> but uh, fortunately, uh, I'm, I'm married because of that. I actually used the extra six weeks to heal a broken collarbone the insurance money from a total bicycle uh, to buy a ring and ask my, uh, my lovely bride who's out here to, be, to marry me. But it was also a third factor, which was to desperately throw my mom off the trail that I owned a motorcycle. <laughs> she was super happy and it all worked out. Uh, I grew up in a little town in Florida, uh, went to the United States Military Academy, and I wanna echo uh, what Congressman Cheryl said around your early opportunity to be exposed to a lot of people from a lot of diverse backgrounds. There is a person at, at West Point from every single congressional district. There's someone at West Point when I was there from 41 different countries. Uh, and we have a very active recruiting team which makes sure that we bring in cadets from diverse backgrounds and un underserved backgrounds. And that route right, gives you this understanding that everybody brings something to the team and everybody is different in their perspective and bringing that together is one of those key things you learn you combine that with this idea that, right, yeah, we, you could call it a feature. Sometimes you might call it a bug. We're relentlessly optimistic. Every day in your military career, you spend your time thinking about how you are going to put yourself in harm's way as well as others that you care about. And if you can't be relentlessly optimistic about that, right, you, you need to find a different career path. Uh, and I loved that aspect. I enjoyed military very much. I spent eight years as a uh, army paratrooper, uh, ranger school, you know, all aspects of it. Uh, but I did determine that uh, I wanted to see other aspects and apply that in other places. So I went to business school uh, and have been in California ever since. I now run a company called Tibco. Uh, and we provide essentially data integration, uh, data management and predictive analytics capabilities to both our uh, armed services federal agencies, as well as some of the world's largest companies. Federal Express, for example, uh, depended on TIBCO to both deliver vaccines as part of uh, Operation Warp Speed. At the same time, they were delivering, you know, more Christmas presents than ever, holiday presents than ever before sure. because of the pandemic and everyone's shopping. 
So, uh, you know, Timmy got his bicycle and Timmy's grandmother got her vaccine. And we're really proud of the role that TIBCO plays in some of those organizations around the world, giving everybody one thing we gained in our service, a shared consciousness, an understanding of what's important, rooted in data, and coming back to the common goals we kind of share and we share together. I just add something. Yeah, please. Uh, yeah, on, on optimism. So my, my favorite quote of all time, leadership quote, is, is Colin Powell, who said, uh, perpetual optimism is a force multiplier. Absolutely. And I just love that. that It, it embodies yeah. so much of, hey, when, you're, when you're, you're seeing adversity, but run into the adversity, keep a positive attitude. You know, nobody wants to follow somebody that's and, a downer. And I think it's something for organizations and our, and, and our government to keep in mind is that we are trained that way. And so... You know, there have been people who said, well, generals or, or admirals lied, right, about our status in the world. No, they didn't. I mean, they honestly did have the optimism to do the right thing. I, I think that biggest thing we learned is, you know, you have to have, like Congressman Cheryl said, integrity in everything you do. And if you don't bring that, you know, from day one, you put yourself at risk and you put everybody else at risk. And that's one of those other things. You can get that in a lot of different perspectives. I don't want to say that service is the only way you can build those characteristics. But it is certainly a great way. So I want to want to test something on all three of you, and it, it left a big impression on me. Uh, it was from Speaker Boehner, John Boehner, and so John Boehner came here a few years ago and talked. But prior to that, I met him in his office, and uh, uh, which is one of the most beautiful offices in Washington because it's looking down Pennsylvania Avenue. And when I told Bob Dole I met him in that office, he said, "No, the most beautiful office is the Oval Office, looking out into the Rose Garden." <laughs> I thought that was funny, but. But, but, but Speaker Boehner said to me that the Congress worked better when there was more civic virtue in the country, civic unity, and it primarily came from the military. And he said that the Congress worked better in the 40s and the 50s because the men and women that were serving in the Congress had served the country in some part of the world. And so if they were from New York, they didn't necessarily have a rivalry from the person from North Dakota because they had met those people in their various battalions and squadrons and so forth. And so it made it easier to get things done. Have we lost that? Number one, is that true? I believe it is, but I'm interested in your, each of your reactions. Have, and then secondarily, if we've lost that, how do we get it back? Yeah, well, I, I really believe that to our core. And that's what, what we embody it with honor is trying to get more veterans who pledge to work across party lines, work with integrity and civility into the Congress. That doesn't mean that all veterans are part of the solution, but when you look at the numbers, what's happened over the last 50 years, it's happened in my lifetime, is that uh, co Congress used to have veteran representation above 70%, roughly. That's now down to 20%. Obviously, it's no secret that in that time period, the polarization of Congress, measured by how people vote across party lines has gone you know, out the, out the window. Um, there's a really interesting chart, it's on our website at withhonor.org that actually shows the, a data, a histogram of how folks have voted over that time. And we believe that, that, is, that, that that's correlated. That's a part of the reason is that you have, you have increasing this, this, this tribalism almost. The military breaks down that tribalism. It does not matter what your political party is. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what your religion is. It doesn't matter who your mommy and daddy are. You are in the foxhole together yes. and you are doing the mission together. And that's the attitude that we look for with, with honor uh, that's embodied by, by many of the 25 um, vets that we support who are members of, of Congress. And uh, so thrilled also to have uh, Congresswoman Cheryl in that, in that group as well. 
Um, but you're living it, so, uh, and I know it's not easy, uh, for sure. Welcome. Yeah, so um, I had one Zoom meeting, and, and one of the members of Congress said, um, I'm going to just give you all some real talk. Uh, Congress is a dysfunctional workplace, <laughs> and I, so I was like, oh, it's taking it back a little. I was like, huh, yeah, yeah, that, that might describe it. Um, it is a unique, if we're kind, a unique workplace, and um, what we've seen is the consolidation of power on both sides of the aisle for various reasons, and it's almost become um, this sense in Congress that, that voting against the party is, is wrong, you're not a good Republican, you're not a good Democrat, you're somehow doing the wrong thing. And the people that I think are most often likely to put their district, to put the country first, are our veterans. And, um, and you kind of think, that doesn't sound like that big a deal. I mean, I remember saying, you know, people are saying, oh, you're going to vote against this? Wow, that's, that's pretty brave or pretty courageous. And I'm like, I've done a lot braver things than vote against a piece of legislation that's bad for New Jersey. But um, it does, you know, there is this, this reinforcing problem because you start to do this and then you're trying to get other stuff done and people think you've committed this uh, you know sacrilege against your party etc so um i think it's so important to have veterans though that can take a view and say look i'm just putting the country first i just think this is critically important and to model that for other people um i just had a piece of legislation that i cared about very deeply and thought was critically important not just for working moms but for our economy as a whole around childcare, and the legislation that came forward in my committee was not going to cut it. It just wasn't. And um, I think the first instinct was, well, let's kind of try to do this. And, and uh, the chair was holding firm. We weren't getting any momentum. And, and finally, I just gathered the people on the committee, a lot of them working moms, and said, you guys know this is not going to cut it. And um, we got together and finally I got a unanimous vote for my amendment, making sure that we had the child care forces we need. That's not traditionally what, you know, traditionally you just kind of say, okay, well, um, I'll just wait until maybe there's another opportunity. That seems to be what's, what's going on in Congress too many times. And it's leading, unfortunately, to a lack of compromise, a lack of bipartisanship, and occasionally a lack of good legislation. Look, I, you know, the first thing you learn is that uh, the best contributions you make are always going to be in service to a greater good. Right. There are no units of one, you know, even though it was a good motto for a little while for the, for the army. It was never a good motto. Out there. <laughs> there was a motto, a motto. You know, and there are no units of one. You're always part of a unit. You're always part of a team. And what you come back to is what do you share in common? And too often right now, right, you're rewarded by, by yelling or making noise about what you don't share in common. And don't get me wrong. If something is dangerous or something is against our principles and our values, you better speak up in the military because right bad things will happen for you know but if it's a disagreement or you have different perspectives you get together you work it out and you think about what your mission is and it starts with those values you know at west point it was duty honor country uh you come back to that principle and then you come back to what is it we are trying to accomplish and so i like to bring that you know back into the workplace um, i like to think tipco software is a very functional workplace and we do that because we bring exactly that idea what do we have in common? What does the data lead us to? Let's have a tough discussion, but let's then figure out where the common ground is and make it happen. It was like seeing, you know, Congressman Khanna and Go Governor Bush here yesterday on the stage, right? They disagree about exactly how a private-public partnership should work, but they agree we need private-public partnerships to get things done. And if we come back to what we agree discussion. on, 
then, then we can make so much more happen. So I, uh, last night I purchased a $50,000 dress. And on the back of the dress, it said tax the rich. But when I put it on this morning, I couldn't fit in it properly. I was like, I was yeah, that wasn't a good wear this morning. But then I realized that these <laughs> delegates are rich. They get mad at me. Um, is that distracting? If I'm wearing a $50,000 dress and paying a $38,000 ticket to go to a, a ball like that. I want to I bring it back to the model Congressman Cheryl demonstrates. You know, uh, go to Twitter. I challenge you to find something negative that she has posted, shared, right, that attacks somebody or belittles somebody. Instead, she shares information on how to get FEMA funds for her district. She shares information on how right. she celebrated our year. I got to teach you how to do that, Congress. We're going to get you Twitter following. Twitter Twitter following is pathetic compared <laughs> yes. to that person. And so I think you know Twitter's. It's like All a my constants here. It's That's like a car mean. accident, right? You know, it's like yes, you can't look away from it, but you should. And and so I think that there's this come back to the character she demonstrates. It's not about hey, look at me, it's about what we get done. And that action was about look at me. Oh, 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 okay, and I want to get the congresswoman to react is I think it's an interesting point because- That my Twitter feed's pathetic? Well, no. No, no I know. I love it. We're gonna work it out. I'll, I'll give you some really bombastic, ridiculous things to say. We'll get it up by like 50,000 by this evening. That's your role. But yeah, I've done, I've done that well, trust me. But, but no, I, we're in a different age now. And so what I'm wondering, is can we blend civic virtue and patriotism with the right connectivity and communication to get the messaging out there in a way that people are all going to pay attention to it? Now, I admire Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez. I, I do. She's got a great work ethic. I may not agree with her intellectually. I want to debate her in the free marketplace of ideas, but I do admire her because of her moxie, her hard work, and she's getting messaging out there. So I'm wondering, can we can we get the civic virtue, patriotic, unifying message out there and not have it be boring and have it be attractive to people? I mean, that's our challenge. And, and you know, you can like social media or not like social media. It's not going anywhere. Right. We are operating in a new environment right. um, and we're I can tell you it's constantly evolving. I, I you know, we talk all the time about how do we use this platform? How can we get our message out? What's the most effective way? Um, because it's critically important, especially, um, you know, as you're trying to communicate to people through a, a really difficult communications arena. Um, there are some people, you're not going to believe this, who um, are very bombastic and really clutter the airwaves with stuff oh, that makes it hard to break <laughs> you through. Might be <laughs> you might be surprised. No. But, but it, it is a, it is a, a medium that, that you know, you do have to, to, to gather a certain thing, come up with a way to connect with people. And we know that emotional connections work best. And so how do you work in that thing when you, you don't want people enraged? And there are a lot of people enraged. You don't want people enraged. You want people um, passionate about your child care bill. You know, how do you do that? It's very difficult. And we're constantly evolving. I agree with you. I, I know I, I, there is room for... Um, being, you know, doing something that that gets so much attention that makes people think, yeah. and you can be for or against what Representative Ocasio Cortez does, but you are talking about it, and you are thinking about it, and you are lining up in your head how you feel about some of her positions, and I think that's part of the public discourse. Um, the trouble for a person uh, in my district doing the things I'm doing is um, how do you? bring excitement 
right. to boring legislation. <laughs> and, and, um, and, and why do you do that? Because you, all, you know, the other thing is you can get really wrapped up in just trying to get a million followers and suddenly you're realizing, hey, I'm not sure I'm actually creating the progress I want to create in Congress. And so sometimes you find the tail wagging the dog a little bit. It's, it's, it's really a brave new world, I think, in how we communicate. And, and that's the military piece is you, you, you always have in mind, which is what I love. It's not that you know what your mission is. You know what you're trying to accomplish. You know what you're trying to advance and you don't get distracted by the other aspect of it. And, and Ryde does a great job like celebrating that you know, with, with honor. And, and of course, he's lived it himself of, right, you know, how do I certainly raise the issues that need to be raised, but do it in a way that's constructive and do it in a way where we can continue to advance what we all agree on. And, that, and that's the biggest challenge. Yeah. And I mean, some of the old school still matters and it's definitely going to continue to matter. Like you cannot attack somebody on Twitter before you've met them eyeball to eyeball and expect that you're going to have a really real relationship <laughs> with them. And that happens. Obviously, that happens in our orbit. That also happens in Congress. You know, so one of the okay, things I'm going to push backwards, I'm going to tell you why. Yep, because yep. a lot of people tag me on Twitter. I could care less. Okay, when I meet them, they're like running, particularly if they're verified. They're like running away from me. I don't care. I mean, you just had a guy on stage that fired me after 11 days in the White House. No problem. Well, you are a unique you know, individual. No, but I'm just saying to you, like, we got to get over this stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and, and for some reason... It's like indelible ink if it's on Twitter and then people flip out. Right? I, you're like a little bit ahead of your time because player. you're like my kids, right? What's like that? You're a little bit ahead of your time on this because you're kind of like what I think is coming where people ingest social media differently. I'm constantly, kids? my oldest is 15, my youngest is nine. And I'm constantly telling, don't post anything. Don't get on there. You don't want to be on there. And, and I'm constantly getting stuff from my sisters who are following them. Like, oh, that was so cute. I'm like, <laughs> really? <laughs> Great. I hate school. Great. Great. <laughs> so, you know, I'm trying to just, you know, I have this kind of old school, non-digital native, just keep your, your private business private type thing. And my kids are part of this whole new world where, you know, they want to share what they had for breakfast with, you know, their 10 followers. And, so, like, and, and yeah. Aren't you Tim said, you know, they can use that against you in court one day. Right. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, this is, yeah, you could FOIA this. Um, but, but you're, I think we're headed there. It's just, you know, trying to find right. where we're at now. It's, it's to some of us, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting balance to try to connect with people, try to get the word out, but try to do serious things. I think that's where I have a lot of struggle is how do you do serious things on social media? Yeah. And, well, sorry, I, I think it's, yeah. And I mean, I, I don't know how the answer to that. I guess we're all searching for that answer. But what I want to ask you is you see these amazingly talented people, they're patriots. Um, how did you go from being a patriot, which is an amazing thing, serving the country, putting your life at risk, but now you got to cross over into the political realm. I didn't do well in the political realm because I didn't see the shots coming. I mean, it, at least in your realm, you're working on a team. The team is patriotic. You have a culture where you're going to help each other, but you get to Washington. There's not that many people that have a culture of, oh, you know what? We're here actually to serve the country. A lot of these people are like, hey, I'm, I'm here to preserve my own personal power and to aggrandize myself to use your yeah. Or they come I, into it and then it's a slow creep. You know, the pressures are there. It's just a, so I think the, the, the slow, attribute. Slow creep to become like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it just chips away at you. So what we look at in particular is it comes back to service. Do you view this as being something larger than yourself? 
do you view it in military terms as a hardship post? It is a hardship post. It's definitely a hardship post for Congresswoman Cheryl, who has three or four kids, uh, is in a competitive district. She has basically like three jobs and stuff coming at her My all the time. My husband doesn't consider it a hardship post. He <laughs> considers it an escape. <laughs> yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I, I can't, you know, I'm going down to Washington. I wish I wasn't going. He's like, really? <laughs> <laughs> we share that. We married well, you know. Uh, but it's, it, you know, to have that, that grounding that, listen, this is going to be something that's larger than myself and to be able to resist that slow creep because corruption is real. I mean, and it happens and it builds on itself. I want to extend that because I often think about this in the, in the parable the uh, George Orwell wrote in, in Animal Farm. And I always think about it, you know, the, the, the pigs were revolting against the farmers. They organized all the animals. They were upset with two-legged animals, which were the farmers. But do you remember what happened to the pigs at the end? They were up on their hind legs and they were wearing vests and they had pocket watches. And they had taken over the farm. And so they had started out as part of the proletariat. And they started out with this virtue and this principle. But by the end, because of that process that you said they get drawn into, they became the two-legged animals. So when the horse knocked on the door, there were the pigs in the farmhouse standing up. And they had the pocket vest. That happens a lot in Washington, does it not? It sure does. How do you keep it from happening Except to yourself, Congressman? Well, you keep it from happening with groups like the Four Country Caucus. because. You know, the difference, I think, in some of the people that I serve with and why I think we've been able to create a different culture is because we sort of came in as a group. Um, the 2018 class in the Democratic Caucus was one of the largest classes um, to enter into Congress. And so you you had this sort of built-in group of people, and you, it was it was a reinforcing measure, too. When you know, you would say, well, this is ridiculous, right? And, and you'd have a group of people saying, yeah, this is ridiculous. You know, th this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Why would anyone do it this way? And, and that felt very unique. I, I know I'm on the New Jersey delegation, as you may have mentioned. You can all clap Jersey, again. Jersey, Jersey, Jersey. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, but I did go Some of those New Jersey's like moved to Florida, though. I get to see a few of them. Okay. You can you clap know. if you're from any connection. Um, but I... Uh, so, you know, I remember early on, it's a, it's a large delegation, which is very nice. You don't quite realize how that's going to be helpful um, until you get into Congress. And I went to one of them and said, well, are we going to vote as a block on this? Like, are, are we, what are we thinking here? Um, and the person said to me, I got to be honest with you, around here, it's every man for himself. And I said, huh. And we got that a lot. In fact, um, when, when I would want to do events, we, we do fundraisers. And when I would want to do a fundraiser with another uh, one of the veterans service members I came in with, my team would be like, oh, I, I don't know. I, you know, we, we'd probably be better off by ourselves. Like, there just wasn't this idea hmm. of coming together. And we have almost in some ways had to kind of show others the way that, that this kind of group can actually um, Build, power. There's power it's more in that power. It's, it's more power when you're, you're not, but for so many, it feels like a zero sum game. If, right. if I'm in any way giving this person power, I'm somehow losing it. We've created a, a, a base of people where it's, you know, we've all gotten more power and more ability to. And I think the military is great training for that, right? So yep. you're absolutely, you know, you get a block rating right, where your, your boss puts it on paper and it goes into permanent record, how you stack up against all your peers. Yet, 
that you don't think about that day in day out. You think about what you're doing with your peers to go accomplish what you have to do. And so, you know, where Congressman Cheryl, Congressman Cheryl stepped up is saying, look, we can do this differently. I don't care if you think it's every person for themselves. We can accomplish more and we can all do that together. So I really believe that. And look, I'm in the commercial space and companies have the same challenges, right? You know, organizations can very easily lose their way. And you come back to establishing one of the things we learned is what are our values? So again, I work at Tibco Software. Tibco, you know, founded by Vivek Renadive, uh, the information bus company, which is what it, Tibco stood for. We now focus on our values and what it stands for. We work together, the T, we are in, innovative, the I, we are bold, we are customer focused, and we're optimistic. Nowhere in there does it say we're gonna go make a ton of money, right? Nowhere in there does it say, you know, we're gonna rise faster than others. Instead, we focus on our customers, on bringing innovation and being bold and we do it. And that helps people get aligned. And that's something you learn when is you're there, serving. Is there an incentive? Let me ask, Brian, is there an incentive? Like if you were a Washington czar, I gave you the magic wand. Yeah. We could change incentives in Washington to drive people to do what Dan is saying. Because he has a corporate culture. Uh, the military has a uh, military culture where the incentives are aligned to do exactly what Dan just said. So if you had a magic wand, you could go to Washington, wave the wand. What are two or three normative things you would do to try to get the incentives alongside of what the Congresswoman and Dan is saying? That is a great question. The first thing that I finally got a good question. All right, good, I'm going to relax. Okay, good. No. It's a great question. The first thing I would do would be build up organizations like With Honor. A little bit of pitch there for the organization that I co-founded with other veterans. Why? Because what we're trying to do is actually shift against this tide and build a group that is cross-partisan, that does meet every two weeks, that takes a pledge to serve with integrity, civility, and courage, and lives by it. And by the way, we measure their bipartisan. So more people elected from your group, they're all in there with that pledge. But still worried about the animal farm thing, because when they get in there, they start getting corrupt, corruptive forces. So what would be some incentives from the sort of I town. Think, I think any folks change about the town that would make it easier for them to stay in the curve of your group inside the boundaries. Yeah. Of I mean, group. one thing that everybody in this room can do is you can you can support individuals that push the tide back. You can support them. You can send it. You can that doesn't need to be financial. It could be financial, but you can you can put you can say, listen, I'm, I believe in this. I'm not going to just jump on this culture war. I'm not going to get triggered by, you know, what this or that. I'm going to actually say I'm going to look for the the ones that are bucking the tide and I'm going to support them and I'm going to use whatever microphone I have to do that. That's something that individuals can do. That's part of the reason why our our organization with honor, we're a political reform organization. There aren't many. I mean, we are a big country. There are or there are, you know, we run on about 10 million dollars a year. There are maybe five organizations that are similar in the entire United States that are working on political reform that have that sort of magnitude. We need more in Americans that care. We need more Americans that are going to lean in, that are going to actually stroke checks, that are going to put their, their time and effort and work into this because it really matters. Like this, this really matters for our com country's competitiveness. We cannot have our Congress continue to be this dysfunctional and polarized and, and really broken. I mean, I think, it's, I think it's brilliant, and that's why we invited you, and we're going to do everything we can at the SkyBridge Assault level to help you. I want to switch to something that I'm concerned about. I had dinner last night with uh, General McMaster, General Kelly, and a few 
people, and they talked a little bit about it this morning, but they are very worried about China, and they're very worried about the inner inward turn of China, the investments that have made by the United States, uh, the competitive dynamic, what China's doing around the world. Uh, are, is the Congress and the Senate as well-versed as General H.R. McMaster on the danger of what's going on between the United States and China? Certain committees. So different committees have jurisdiction, as you know. So I'd say the House Armed Services Committee is very aware. That's what I, 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 that's one of the committees I sit on. I'd say Foreign Affairs, very aware. Your Intelligence Committee, very aware. Um, other committee members, um, probably not as largely focused. But the committees of jurisdiction that are dealing with this um, are, you know, are moving to address all these things. But the problem isn't necessarily if Congress is aware. That is one problem. The problem is, is the nation aware? And, and I don't think the nation is aware. I think the nation sort of regards China as this great place to get cheap Halloween costumes, right? Um, you know, I don't think the nation is aware that China is moving into African and Latin American countries, putting them into a great deal of debt to build roads and bridges, um, teaching uh, the leaders in power how to shut off parts of the internet, promoting Chinese ideals in television, and at a very, you know, it's very costly to get American television or the BBC. I mean, I don't think America is aware in general that um, we are ceding so much ground as far as our values and our ideals to China, um, and that matters economically a great deal. I will say that the new national defense strategy uh, does envision great power competition. So for those of us who grew up during the Cold War, sort of this, to me, this idea of great power competition doesn't just involve how are we going to be competitive, how are we going to make sure our national security needs are met vis-a-vis -vis China or Russia, but really it's, it's also a war of ideals. Um, promoting our ideals, convincing um, our allies and friends that that our view of the world is better for um, individuals, it's better government, it's better economically, and we should band together and ensure the world order agrees with us. And so when we're making decisions on cyber, when we're making decisions, international norms around those issues, the values of places like China and Russia are very different from what the U.S. values are. So we need to still be at the table creating those norms, and we can't do that if our country as a whole is not um, convinced that that's where we need to be and pushing that agenda. And that's part of the reason why the, a forum like the Four Country Caucus of 25 members of Congress, both parties that meet every two weeks, it's so important that we are actually talking about these issues. One of the big topics that the caucus has worked on is artificial intelligence. It's been a huge topic at, at SALT this week. You know, Eric Schmidt, former uh, SALT speaker with uh, Bob Work, commissioned a, a, a study over two years for, by Congress uh, called the National Security Artificial Intelligence Commission. They have over 50 recommendations in Congress. The beginning of their report starts with the slide with one simple, with one simple statement. And that is that China believes that our polarization is to its critical advantage. That's a, that's a study, that's an 800 page study on artificial intelligence. And that's the slide that it starts with. We have to have Congress working 
we have to be able to talk across party lines on these issues because they are massive and they're going to be defining our our lifetime. Yeah, I'll, I'll cut. It's, look, it's I remain totally true. By the way, yes, yeah, but I remain relentlessly optimistic about our country. I think democratic ideals and a free market economy will continue. We both learned Russia Russian at our respective military academies. And right, we were prepared for. Oh, Could you, know, you see Paul. Russia from your house, though? But you know, this whole idea of understanding right the different systems and what they're doing is key. And we also studied the history, so you you absolutely, as uh, Secretary Florner is talking, have to be prepared. You have to be ready. You have to understand that that polarization is absolutely a potential flaw, but it's also one of our greatest aspects of it. And that we allow people to do that and we bring different opinions. I'm still convinced because I work in the commercial sector. You know, we use artificial intelligence in all of Tibco's product. And I would put you know, what we do and what are free, willing and able to move across the economy. Team members are able to do against anything China does. We do have to have public private partnerships. We have to be thinking about, you know, what is the DARPA There's aspect, no right? That helps you see the Internet. But then all these companies right, made the most of the Internet. And so finding those those combos are going to be important. But I, some degrees, our polarization is, again, a feature. But we have to just make sure it doesn't become right a bug. we got a couple minutes. How many more congressmen and women are going to be in the Congress as a result of your work in the upcoming midterm elections? Well, we, the group that we support currently in Congress, and we're 50-50 across party lines, yep, has 25 members. We'd like to get that up to 40. That's going to take some work. This is a critical election coming up. Well, that would be almost 10% of the Congress, so 8%, 8%, 9% of the Congress. And if you, if, again, if you have cohesion, that can really that can move things and make stuff happen. So that's our goal. Uh, that's what we're aiming for. Dan, you're in, you're in software. How are we going to get the Congresswoman's Twitter following up? Do you have some <laughs> well, any, any advice there? <laughs> My family are all following. She's not going to take my. Family are all following now. Just trust me. She's not going to take my, my, no, think, take my, my advice. Is, okay, it's not a, going it's to my. It's a bad direction. measure. I mean, that, my whole point. It's a bad measure and idea. Exactly what with honors doing right. Let's raise. Let's help people. Not all of us have the ch the time every day to make sure we're seeing how people vote. That what you do to share that perspective and help us understand what makes us a better place is important. The work you're doing is really valuable, and it's just a real pleasure to be part. I think of a system that can deliver. You know, as long as we bring integrity and teamwork to everything we do, Con Con better Congresswoman, I want to make a pitch for tourism in your district. Have you been to the Yogi Berra Museum? I live in Montclair. Montclair. Yeah, I've been several times. Make the pitch for Yogi here. How much fun is that museum? You been that museum? it is wonderful. Um, I don't know those of you uh, who've heard him say to get to his house. He'd say, if you come to a fork in the road, take it. You really could go either way to get to his house. That was true. But um, no, that's wonderful. Um, the winter headquarters of George Washington um, in the hardest winter during the Revolutionary War was in Morristown. Um, if you want to take a moment to commemorate 9-11, the most beautiful 9-11 memorial that we have um, is at the top of Eagle Rock. That's where George Washington looked down over Manhattan to um, spy on the British troops. Um, we have the Great Swamp. Uh, which is a gorgeous outdoor um, conservation area. And the last time I was there, a bald eagle flew right over my head. Nobody believes me. I was by myself. But um, so we just have some wonderful tourism. And as you start to make your plans 
for the 250th anniversary of our country, I would suggest you come out to my district. So there's one place she didn't, that's not in her district, that's in New Jersey, Meadowlands, where Army's going to beat Navy this December, is also a great place. Okay, uh-oh. I can't leave it on that. I can't leave it on that as the New Jersey That's Congress how you got to finish with the kneecapping. Knee as capping. the New Jersey Congress. See the polarization in sports? I'm Navy. telling you right here. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much, guys. That was terrific.